Stand-up comic joke it up one time. Fun day. Fun day. You're a pretty good dancer, Mike. Love you. This is the podcast. Let's talk about sets with Jeff McBride. That's me. I'm and Harrison. Harrison Tweed. I'm Harrison Tweed. This is a show in which we go full comedy nerd about the craft and stand up comedy. And this is. <laughs> Keep it in. Keep it in. I know, right? Yeah. Can, can you see it boil? Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Your veins popping. I know. This is a show in which we go full stand-up comedy about the craft of... <laughs> I keep all of this in. This is such garbage. You're being so bad at this. You're just reading something. This is why you got to write on stage, dude. Because <laughs> <laughs> You can't even go line by line, dude. <laughs> If I start slashing use the, my mouth, use you the will anger. Kill. I think you should use the anger. Use the rage. I feel like you're the emperor, <laughs> and I'm Luke Skywalker. This is a show in which we go full nerd, comedy <laughs> nerd, about the craft of stand-up comedy, and we analyze it in all its sciency, dorky nerdiness. Mm-hmm. Our guest today is Mike Guild, and our theme <laughs> is comedic storytelling. Yes. Uh, our sub theme is Jeff's anger problems. <laughs> This is the sound of my voice. Hi, Mike. This is the sound of your voice. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get started with a bit that Mike picked. It's by one of the greatest storytelling stand-ups of all time. That's Dave Chappelle. This is called Kevin Hart is in Town, and it's from his 2017 Netflix special, The Age of Spin. I was at home with my son busting. He said, Dad, Dad, I need $250. He's only 12 years old, so I freaked out. What's going on, nigga? Somebody trying to kill you? He said, no, no, Kevin Hart's coming to town and I wanted to see his show. I said, well, how much are the tickets? He said, they're $125. I said, God damn, I'm only 80. I said, well, why do you need $250 in? He goes, because I want to go with you, Dad, please. Aww. And there it is. So I took him to the show. And uh, we go, we sit right up front. The lights go down and one opening act after another goes on. He could have said the name. Kevin takes the stage. Crowd (laughs) goes fucking nuts. Thousands of people. I was furious. (laughs) (laughs) The longer the show went on, the madder I got. Because his show was fucking outstanding. It was maddening. These people were fucking holding their stomachs. My son was slapping his knee. (laughs) 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 Yeah, nigga, I do this too. <laughs> Kevin says, good night. The crowd goes crazy. And then everyone starts walking to his door and the lights come on. And then my son is just standing there looking at an empty stage. I'm like, man, this place fucking sucks. <laughs> I said, come on, son, let's get out of here. And then my son looks back at me and he says, dad, please, please, I have to meet him. I said, oh my God. <laughs> So I took him backstage. I've known Kevin for years, but can you believe I was scared to knock on his dressing room door? I almost said, I said, 
son, I haven't seen him for a long time, but I... <laughs> and, and one of Kevin's goons opened the door. <laughs> hey, what's up, Dave Chappelle? What are you doing? His man? goons, you yeah. What you doing in this area? This is a terrible area. Uh, yeah, actually, I live around here. Listen, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's Kevin here. Uh, my son just wanted to meet him real quick. Well, I don't know, because Kevin's about to eat dinner. Just then, Kevin came around the corner to see who it was. What? Oh, shit. What's up, Dave? Come on back. I was just about to have dinner. I don't know if you guys ate, but you're welcome to join me if you like. And then my son pushed past me some cold shit. He goes, actually, Mr. Hart, we haven't eaten in several hours. <laughs> Man, Kevin took us into his back room. This guy had a fucking spread. It was Tuesday night. This motherfucker was having Sunday dinner. It was steaks, chops, corn with butter all over it. My son was eating all fast, embarrassing. I was like, slow down, son. <laughs> And I looked over in the corner, there was a box. Custom-made jerseys for the local team. Uh -huh. Each one was hand-stitched, and on the back, they stitched on the K-heart on all of them. Kevin saw me staring at that box, and he went over and grabbed one of them jerseys, and he walked right to my son. He said, hey, little man, I want you to have this. And my son was like, thanks, Mr. Hart. This is when I got mad. He goes, if your father ever makes you mad, Put that on, and he walked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was some cold shit. Well, that's All right. I almost started clapping. Yeah, that was such, <laughs> that's such a good story, man. So, Mike, why did you pick this bit? Uh, I think Chappelle's the best living stand-up right now. Like, just around, I mean, his newest specials are some of his best, in my opinion, and... Uh, he's doing what most older stand-ups do. Like once they've been in the game for a while, like most of their shit starts turning into stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the, it's the oldest form of entertainment there is. Like that's how cavemen used to communicate and entertain each other. Like this is, it's a natural progression. Like to go, I think Carlin's like one of the only people that kind of stuck to it and didn't really start telling stories about, you know, being famous or being a celebrity or mm -hmm. how any of that changed them or anything like that. So for you, you think uh, that is uh, sort of a natural evolution for stand-up comics. The longer they're in it, the more the jokes are there to serve the stories they want to tell. But I think it can also invert itself because Cosby showed us that you can start out as a storyteller and then mm -hmm. segue into rape. So you can <laughs> more of a rape <laughs> method of stand-up comedy that is not but, 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 but <laughs> I, I, To answer the question, like, like, <laughs> like that, to you, there is an evolution that you've seen, you think? Well, yeah. I think that, especially with stand-up, that it's, it's always going to be uh, a perception of what the audience kind of wants, and then we have to give that to them. So when you're young, when the audience doesn't really like know you or feel like they know you, you have to explain your whole uh, idea of everything, how you view the world, and that's you know how normal stand-up basically gets started. Then hopefully you become famous, and they see you in movies, they see you in interviews, they get to know you, and now they just want to hear about, like, you're not the same person as you were when you wrote those jokes. Yeah. You can't really connect with normal people on that same level. Mm -hmm. So going back and then telling a story about meeting a famous person or how your life was one way and now look how crazy it is now like that yeah. kind of thing people want to hear that and it's not 
it's not like gloating or anything. And I know it's not specifically storytelling. I thought um, one of the best things that, uh, do you know Anthony DeVito? He's a New York comic. He's hilarious. His yeah, comic very good. central Incredible. album is coming out yeah. really soon or maybe just released. One of the best pieces of advice he ever gave me was I was like going to audition for something. And he was like, when you're doing material for an audition, tell them who you are. And I think that's what I've, I've noticed when I start really digging a comic is when they start opening up. And that might not be through specific storytelling in the way that Dave Chappelle just performed this bit, but it's the like, I was born here. And so that means this about myself. So I think you inch into it. I feel like you start doing jokey jokes and then storytelling is just something that naturally happens because you start realizing what's funny about you. And then it just kind of unravels and you realize the funny and everything. And mm-hmm. then you can just take chunks of your life and, and, and episodes of your life essentially, and just turn it into comedy because you've already got that kind of rhythm of who you yeah, are. Yeah, You build the muscle of making a joke and making something funny out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And then you take that muscle and go back to things that have already happened to you, things that are currently happening to you, yeah. make it more realistic and, uh, That's you know. the kind of comedy that gets me going too. Mm-hmm. We we talk about this on the depends on the person. There's I there's, sure. there's quite a divide here. Yeah, like there are people who just have no patience for that storytelling stuff, and they just they're just like say a joke. Come on, get to it. Come on. <laughs> I uh, I'm not the, I'm not one of those people. You mean, but idiots yeah. <laughs> even like Can't. the jokiest jo- like jerry seinfeld would be like what's up with the stories yeah, yeah. And like nutritional bits <laughs> <laughs> i want to talk about pop dogs. how do you feel about airplanes let's trace this story of, with kevin hart and mm-hmm. dave Chappelle. let's do that it's a father-son story like it sets that sets the yeah. stage right away classic story if you get a aw in the first like 30 <laughs> seconds mm-hmm. then it's going in a specific route it's also showing you uh so I want to, the, I want to talk about uh, this thing called the story circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, kind of created by Joseph Campbell and then was made like sort of like story circle for dummies was written by Dan Harmon, where it's just like a, a much more palatable, easier Way to follow. More palatable. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a couple pages on a blog as opposed to a fucking, <laughs> yeah, an entire tome uh, real quick. For those people who don't know, Joseph Campbell is like sort of this guy who formalized the classic myth structure of stories and star wars is based directly off of that george lucas actually worked with joseph campbell in some of his earlier years and he says that's exactly what i use this hero's journey mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. as you said dan Harmon came along and was like dan Harmon, who is uh rick and morty community yeah. uh, and a variety of other things um he he came along and was was like hey here's like a six or seven page blog and yeah and it shows how most good stories things that win oscars things that win enemies things mm-hmm. that are held very high everything fits into the story circle mm-hmm. where it starts at one point and by the time you get back to the point again at the end of the the story like everything's different but it's also back to normal sort of and in particular, I'm going to want to, at some point through this, I'm going to want to pick your brain a little bit about the difference between comedic storytelling and regular storytelling, um, that, uh, as uh, if we can. But let's put a pin in it. Okay. Okay. So go. So go. Uh, yeah, this thing lines up with the story circle pretty much perfectly. Uh, the first, uh, there's like eight different sections to the circle, really. Uh, you usually start, you know, establish a, uh, a protagonist, someone that you're going to be following through the whole story. And... Something essential about their character that is going to play out oh, wait, through the wait, rest wait. of the story. For those of you who don't know, a, 
uh, what a protagonist is, read a goddamn book. All right, all right, go ahead. May I suggest some Kurt Vonnegut? <laughs> <laughs> if you if you love uh, war from a nerd's perspective, <laughs> please by all means. <laughs> all right, so standard story circle structure. Your protagonist in this story is uh, you, you, Dave Chappelle and his son, and uh, you do get the awe right at the beginning. You get the nice soft moment for the dad and son and that's setting up two things that uh the son is naive um to like how everyone's feeling about everything he's only kind of like he he's very short-sighted on uh, uh uh he doesn't understand that hurting his dad's feelings like to want to go see another comedian he just wants to hang out with his dad he just wants to spend and it's not just time. any other comedian yeah, it's, it's like pretty much a rival. Yeah. Dave Chappelle, his whole thing is he's like he he's overbearing with love for his son. Like mm-hmm. he is a very protective father in a sense. And uh that's why, you know, the one of the first lines of the story is like, Oh shit, my son needs a lot of money. He must be in trouble. Like what the you know yeah, uh, trying to kill you. Yeah, yeah. Who's trying to kill you? Like what what happened? And uh so then you move on to uh that a they're sort of the protagonists. They're kind of sharing the protagonist role in the story in my mind. Like, mm-hmm. uh, they're both kind of pushing everything along. But uh, the second part would be that the protagonist wants something. That there's, you know, there's something they strive for. Sometimes it's something like freedom or peace or something grand in a story. But sometimes it's just something simple. They both want to spend time with each other. Uh, the fact that they're going to this concert is kind of negligible to the story. Uh in the beginning part, but it's, they just want, they both want to spend time with each other. They want something. And the hero's journey begins. <laughs> exactly. The hero's journey begins. Uh, the next part would be, uh, going to an unfamiliar situation. They enter a situation that is unfamiliar, yeah. uh, already, which would be going to this concert. Like, you know, he's never seen Kevin Hart live. The, yeah. the son and Dave Chappelle is in a, for lack of a better term, anxious environment. Uh, yeah, he finds himself in a very uh, peculiar spot. He's in uh, trouble, a little bit in his mind. He's yeah. not. The stakes are yeah. very low, uh, which makes all the turns and twists for the story great. Because, like, at the end of the day, the worst case scenario is still not going to be that big a deal. And, uh, and in terms of like, uh, sort of like the jokes that propel this story, the contrast, the heightened contrast between everyone else's experience of seeing Kevin Hart and, mm-hmm. and his experience of seeing Kevin Hart is wildly so different. different. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He, uh, that goes on to the next thing you adapt to it. How does, uh, how do you adapt to the situation or you, you attempt to adapt to the to the new situation, the unfamiliar, yeah. uh, the sun enjoys the show with everybody else. Uh, soaks it all in, you know, yeah. has the time of his life, mm-hmm. and Dave Chappelle adapts to it by getting furious. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, can't believe what he's said. How, how are this many I can people? relate. I can totally relate. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because he never comments on like he never says or even alludes to how he felt about the show. It, no. he, he only talks about he basically talks about how he's concentrating the whole time on the audience's reaction. Yeah, like right. he doesn't care right. the material, the content doesn't and even his matter. Son's reaction and his yeah. son's like reaction, little yeah. knee yeah. slapping. Yeah, yeah. I, I was this. wild. I was furious. This is literally my profession, son. <laughs> you know, I do this too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next step would be uh, that they get what they want. That they both set out like that. You they they technically achieve what they want, uh, and this it'd be that they spent. Uh, time together that mm-hmm. they they spent some uh they they you know they got to have father son quality time and they probably feel closer afterwards but 
the uh, immediately the following that is after getting what you want, you have to pay the price for it. There's some price you have to pay. Uh, and in this case, it's Dave Chappelle has to go take him backstage to meet him. That it's not, it can't just be, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, Chappelle's like, you know what? It wasn't that bad. And, and you know, this is a good night. L- yeah. Let's just go home now. And the price he has to pay. For wanting to spend time with his son. And again, the son is naive. Doesn't understand that, like, I, I know my dad can get me backstage. He's famous. <laughs> right. No. I want to go do this. This will be even more fun. We'll remember yeah. this the rest of our lives. Right. Uh, but for different reasons. Yeah, exactly. For much different reasons. Um, and it's the embarrassment. Uh, that's that's also, like, the price he has to pay. The um, And I'm sure if the son knew he was embarrassing his dad, he would make him, you know, he'd feel bad about it. Yeah. Which I feel like is a big, that also plays into the whole naive part. Um, This is all subtext, by the way. This is all like a 30 second story that I've broken down in my head a million times. Um, After you pay a heavy price, you return to a familiar situation, which would be, you know, the, the moment where... Chappelle finally lets his guard down and is more yeah. just enjoying his son, enjoying himself. Yeah. And, uh, and they look at the whole Jersey thing and, uh, yeah, that whole bit at the end with the Jersey, like you, you have to return to the familiar situation, which is the father son dynamic, but having changed, that is the last step. The character is returning, but having changed in some way. And really, I mean, for the comedic effect, the, the biggest change in their father's own relationship would be, hey, man, anytime your dad makes you mad, put this jersey on. Mm-hmm. Like, it's uh, it's and it's a way for his, like, basically for Chappelle to always pay the price uh, for having gone insane. Yeah. Kevin Hart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, that, too, is uh, one of the differences with comedic storytelling is that usually with, with other storytelling, you want a happily ever after kind of thing. Yeah. But with comedic storytelling, you don't necessarily want that. Yeah. It, it doesn't, there, yes, you, you put it, I think perfectly like you, they, the, you continue to pay the price. It can be mm-hmm. an, ending in a slap in the face to the protagonist or the person right. telling the story is probably the most, that's the most funny thing. So that's the way it's got. I mean, at the end of the day, they still, they have to be Okay. Like they can't just be, it can't just be such a downer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, like it still has to be standard sort of joke in that there's some sort of violation occurring and then you find out that, that, that it's, that it's fine at the end and then you laugh cause everything's fine. Yeah. It still has to have that, but with a, with a regular story, there's a happily ever after and then it's done with a comedic story. I think if happily ever after people are like, why the fuck did you tell me that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you're the hero. Way to go. Way to be above us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, and his physicality uh, throughout this story is also like a big part of it. He is acting his ass off throughout the entire thing. I can see everything thing. that's yeah. happening. I can, I can just picture it. Uh, yeah, we're just listening to the audio of it right now, and it's like, you know, I, I have a clear-cut image in my head of what is happening in the story as opposed to what he's doing on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, I should have made the notes of the specific ones. He does a really great job. There's uh, what? There's when four. he knocks at the door. Like yeah, when he, he knocks at the door. He hesitates he... a little bit, mm-hmm. like makes it very realistic. Uh, he does a good job at having, uh, he's only four speaking characters in the whole story and he gives them all different voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the whole story is set up to make you kind of think Kevin Hart is the antagonist of the story. Uh, he doesn't do a, he does basically the same voices himself. Mm-hmm. As he does Kevin Hart, because you're supposed to then like kind of feel like, oh, I was worried for nothing. 
Dave Chappelle was worried for nothing. This is all going to be a nice story in the end. Yeah. Right. And he doesn't like, he does a little bit of a slightly different voice, but he doesn't do any kind of mimicry or mocking. Yeah. Like There's he's no... definitely mocking the uh, bodyguard who opens the door. Yeah, you can tell that guy yeah. is eight feet tall and yeah, 900 yeah. pounds by yeah. the way he does the voice. <laughs> like he's breathing through it. Hey, Dave Chappelle. Hey. I like oh, that, that, that he calls him. He's not like, hey, Dave, or like, hey, sir. He's like, hey, Dave Chappelle. Like, yeah. He's like identifying his celebrity. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because it makes it I mean, I'm sure that's what he said in real life, but the idea of going up and being like, I'm nervous and anxious to do this because like this dude is making my son laugh so fucking hard Mm -hmm. Um, for him to acknowledge like, hey, there is a power. There's like a power structure to this now. Like you're Dave Chappelle. You were once the greatest. And now he sold out a football stadium. Want to come see the football stadium (laughs) seller? It's an interesting also jealousy that I think is really, really prominent with comedians in particular. Because like almost any other arena, if I'm with a girl, if I have a girlfriend and we're out... And like, if I love making her laugh, that's like one of the biggest things. If someone else makes her but laugh. But if someone else is making her laugh really hard, that's the one thing that can make me go, what the fuck is going on over yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the one thing. Yeah, yeah. Anything that's else, I don't, think, I don't care if they're better looking. I don't care if they have more money. I don't yeah, care. Yeah. None of that matters to me. But if she's laughing really yeah, hard yeah. to somebody I don't know, totally. I'm like, I better go in and intervene. This looks, this looks bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bring and I think that same sort of jealousy is playing out right here with his son. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I like how he sets up everything is so perfect for Kevin Hart. Yeah. I just like how every his little piece of it. Chops and yeah. Butter yeah. His goons. Yeah. His uh, even, even like, Oh, what are you doing in this neighborhood? It's like, I live here. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> terrible. terrible area. Yeah. It's like, so. He keeps like heightening that over and over again. Any, mm-hmm. any opportunity he has to put Kevin Hart's status, his situation yeah. way higher than his own is just like, it's, it's, he, he takes it. I love that. That's, I mean, that's, that's again, he's, because at the beginning of the story, they've set up that, or he's, he's, he's purposely set up, Kevin Hart is the antagonist. He may as well be the bad guy in this story. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you go on, he keeps heightening his status more and more and more and mm-hmm. making him look more and more perfect, basically, to to kind of reverse the roles. And by the end, you're like, oh, he is the good guy and Chappelle's sort of the bad guy in the in the end. Like, right. And, and again, the stakes are so low that their statuses of good and bad, like, it, they're so close to each other anyway. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. The last thing that, that really strikes me with this story is that Dave Chappelle is so good at misdirection surprise. And when he, that moment where he goes, oh, come on in. Oh, everything's fine. It's that where he, he just sets it up so well to, to be like, oh, Kevin Hart's a pretty decent guy. Dave Chappelle, what is he thinking, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is he being like this? Yeah. <laughs> he sets it up so well, makes Kevin Hart just look just fine, man. Yeah. And then boom, yeah, hits you with that last little, like, exactly what Dave Chappelle was afraid of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> God, that's funny. I wonder if he does put it on. The, the, a really great uh, way to think about when writing a story like that or, like, you taking a story and, and working it for the stage is uh, – is thinking of like heightening the tension as uh, as a balloon, right? Like you you're blowing up this brand new balloon. You don't blow it up too much, and then all of a sudden you just like let all the air out all at once. 
and uh, the audience is kind of watching this thing happen and you keep inflating the same balloon mm-hmm. maybe a little more each time maybe, and then all of a sudden you just let all the tension out like all at once with some small line i was furious like mm-hmm. you know what i mean he built up this whole thing i was furious like brought it right back <laughs> yeah, down yeah. it's the same idea until you get to the end like it's the same balloon the audience is watching this thing get blown up more and more and more and then go back down and event- they know it's going to pop eventually they know it's like this balloon is going to pop it's yeah. been inflated and deflated so many times it's going to happen and now we're all on the edge of our seat to see like which tension thing is going to make it pop yeah. and you save it for the end obviously the hey man put this jersey on pop like it's yeah it's this uh whole image thing and it helps you to keep like you know as you're bringing it back down it's you're sort of uh you don't go as far down as you started each time you, you know you keep uh building up and up and up uh, like a roller coaster. <laughs> I ran out of analogies. That, no, it's it's that's good. No, like a roller coaster that pops balloons. Like it's a bunch of mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the old the old wood ones, the old wooden wooden tracks. Oh, yeah, like Coney oh, Island, like the one at uh in Tampa. At Bush Gardens. Bush Gardens. That's where you're from. We've got loose monkeys that are terrorizing the city. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, you got to tell us. We got monkeys in Tampa. Uh, You guys don't know about Tampa monkeys? Are they from Bush Gardens? (laughs) In the zoo, yeah. They they just got released? I think they, like, left the roof open one time, like, thinking, like, ah, they can't climb that wall. And then they created, like, a literal fucking barrel of monkeys, like, chain of monkeys to get out of it. And now they're just a little kombuchin. I don't know. What they're called little tiny uh rabid they're kombuchin they're, they're, kombuchin. they're, they're made Jews from a mother a, like a, a combination of monkeys. yeast and bacteria <laughs> why would they play with that that's like if like the nazis left like a little crease in the gates it's like you know we're just keeping them here imprisoned they probably don't want to escape so much that they'll form an alliance <laughs> hey if you know someone who'd be entertained by this or even better, someone who could use some help with their storytelling, like to stop them from aggressively boring people with their crappy stories, or maybe to just help a great storyteller hone their craft, please tell them about this episode. If you're listening on the podcast app on your iPhone, just look in the lower right corner. There's three dots. Tap that and then click share episode. You can also tap the cartoon image of Harrison and me in the app, and then you'll see all these show notes that I painstakingly write. Did you know that shit was there? I even added some easy Facebook and Twitter sharing links. Or, if you're an Android person, all you need to do is simply do whatever Android people do for that. And one more thing, check out my website. I've organized the episodes by the comedians discussed and by the episode themes. I mean, I'm anal, and it's for you. It's easy. Let's talk about sets.com. And if you're a whiz at web development, I would love to chat. I could really use some help speeding up the site. Thanks a lot. Okay, back to the show. Come on. Let's talk about sets. So let's uh, let's introduce Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike Guild, he's performed all over the United States. He has no plans to ever leave this great I was, country. I was so drunk when I wrote this bio. Don't ever <laughs> ask me to write a bio. Hold on. Open I hate parenthesis. <laughs> Maybe Canada or Uruguay. Close parenthesis. <laughs> so Uruguay is right? a great country. I, you've said that a lot. He's produced comedy shows, game shows, talk shows, and freak shows. <laughs> Mostly in I'm and around I'm fun when Queens. I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's originally from Tampa, as we've established, 
And uh, he has permanent refugee status after his initial escape in 2011. I got it's, out. It's dramatic. I got out. And I don't think that timeline's right either. I'm pretty sure I left, I left before that <laughs> and went other places. I don't know. Who knows? This great nation of ours. <laughs> it does feel like you get out when you leave places like Tampa or North Carolina or Montana. Yep. I probably meet someone from Florida and New York City every day. Oh, Tampa yeah. or Florida, like somewhere near my hometown. And like, I, you know, we practically give each other a hug with our eyes because we're like, you made it, man. Got out of that war-torn country that don't <laughs> exist anymore. We don't even have to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about how great the Big Apple is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We can go on the walk down the West Side Highway near the pier <laughs> and see water that doesn't have gators in it. <laughs> I asked Mike to be on the podcast just because I've heard Mike tell stories and I just loved it. There are some stories that he, I've heard him tell that are just like, well, that's, I don't know why I try. You can all. say I'm the best. You yeah. can say I'm the best the there is. Uh, so. uh, yeah. And the other thing is he gave me permission early on to say that he's the best, which not a lot of comedians do. Some, yeah. some of them have like a lot of modesty, but Mike, uh, Mike's, uh, Mike is pretty, he's the best at modesty. modesty. Yeah. Just I'm the greatest. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I bleed humbleness. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, doesn't know the words humility, but that's okay. It's part of that's part of the thing. Well, that's how would, he does it. Why would I need to he be humile if I'm if I'm hilarious? You're either hilarious or you got humanity you or whatever so you said. So much hilariousness. I mean, it's like it's oozes off you. But in all this in is all one sincerity, of the most hilarical episodes there in a while. In all sincereness, uh, I. Uh, Mike, you are one of the best storytellers I've ever seen live. Period, hands hands down. So, uh, so thanks for coming on the show, dude. Yeah, thank you for having me. I think most people are garbage, uh, and it comes to storytelling. And so, it really was a quick rise to the top. You know, <laughs> how long have you been doing stand up? They call me the cream soda. <laughs> uh, I've been doing. They stand-up. call me the stewards of comedy. <laughs> I think you meant root bear float. Because no. cream soda is just one thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you ever had a cream soda float? It's way better. <laughs> it's way better than a root beer. It has a lot of floatness. It totally does. <laughs> it floats quicker. Yeah. It's less dense. <laughs> like me, I'm smarter than everyone. I'm less dense. You are smarter than everyone. Uh, I mean, I've been. I've only been doing stories maybe five years. Not even that long. But like, I've been doing stand up since I was 14. I uh, had my older brother's ID to buy cigarettes and beer and stuff, and then. Yeah. Uh, just started going to comedy clubs, sneaking in. I had to use his name to like go up at mics and stuff for a minute. What? Yeah, and then uh, eventually like started, you know, started getting into drama club and stuff like that in school. You're like Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's a, most. Com- I feel like a lot of comics have that story of like sneaking into a club when you're too young to do it. And mine's the opposite. I saw you must be 21 to do the mic at this place <laughs> in Syracuse, <laughs> and I was like, once I turned 21, and then I went up and like I it was like my second set because the first set I bombed and left, and I was like, I can't do stand up, I guess. And then you saw some 14 year old kill it who didn't pay attention to the rules. No, then I went <laughs> back, did well, and then the guy there's this kid there was like he came up, he's like, hey man, that was great. And he was like, how long have you been doing stand-up? And I was like, oh, this is my second time. He's like, second time ever? That's great. I've been coming here for about a year now. 
And I was like, yeah, I was just, I just turned 21. So I just got a little <laughs> And he was like, yo, I'm 19. <laughs> and I was like, I am a pussy. <laughs> I'm a rule abiding piece of shit. It was really gay. I mean, you know, sometimes oh, some gay. of us are like true artists where it's just like, it's bubbling us over. Like we can't, can't wait. Can't oh, I was wait. performing before I got into stage. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> so, uh, you're 14 years old. You're sneaking into comedy club. Yeah. I was just ripping up. off of, uh, Dane Cook. I just was trying to be dank he was huge at the time mm-hmm. i thought he was hilarious mm-hmm. and i was a white guy so i was like i got this is what people when like you though. say ripping off dan cook you don't mean being the most versatile performer ever right <laughs> you mean like the vicious circle thing you just made when harrison rip off- so happy he like has this giant mural of Dane Cook in his I don't room. think I said anything That's bad about true. him. No, he loves no, Dane didn't. Cook. No, you said you ripped him off. Oh, no. I mean, yeah. like, yeah, when I was 14. He was huge. He yeah. was, like, oh, the biggest so comedian good. around. We're and I remember that You're was... mistaking sarcasm here. He loves Dane Cook. He has a big I, mural covered in I, cum stains I, I because he keeps masturbating I, in front of I, it. I believe it. <laughs> I don't actually. I don't have a mural of Dane. I don't have a mural of I believe it. Yeah, no, I just tried to be... I just tried to be Dan Cook for a while. Just very, and like Jim Carrey, probably more off, like, mm. like just very wild flailing and, and nice. yelling and, and acting out things like way over, overacting them out. And wasn't, you know, I realized maybe some people were laughing at me, not with me. Uh, I wasn't really writing anything good or like, I just, uh, that, that initial confidence of doing stand up as a young kid and getting that little, like from the audience, you know, they could tell how young I was. They were like, did the older comics fuck with you? I didn't really, I never really made friends or anything. Like I just always was the person to like sit outside the door till my name was called, run in, do it. And then immediately leave. Like didn't want to talk to anyone about it. Didn't want to learn or, or, you know, I just, I was that guy for a while where like, uh, I also kept it secret from a bunch of my friends. I was so in my family and stuff. I was so embarrassed, like, cause I knew I was bad and I just didn't, I would rather them. I I love the reaction of someone just look. I love it. You're, you're treating it like, uh, like, like, like people, like a, like a teenager who goes into an adult bookstore and steals a porno magazine before yeah. the internet. <laughs> yeah, like you're so like, you're literally, that, that's how, what stand up was for you. Yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of, uh, telling my friends I had to go to work or go home for something like, and then telling my parents I was out hanging out with friends and, uh, I was doing cocaine, mom, get <laughs> off my back. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was killing strangers. <laughs> But it was, yeah, I, cause I was just embarrassed about how I, first of all, I was, I knew, I still don't think my family thinks I'm funny. I still think that they don't do not think I'm funny at all, that they all think they're funnier than me. I'm just, and it's good. I like to, that I keep that, uh, craziness in the back of my head. It keeps me going. Yeah. It's me like being like, yeah, you know what? You are funnier than me, mom, but, uh, I'm getting paid for it, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> my mama. That's like, that's like, a. There's something really cool about that, like that that somehow you'll never get that approval and that lack of approval, that vacuum you're trying to fill mm-hmm. will propel you to greatness. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's the, the most I always I, I've learned that. I mean, this is just for me. Do not ever try to use this, especially you, Jeff. Don't use this. Uh, this will not work for you. But okay, uh, okay. if I have a really big set coming up, like I will almost try to if it's someone I know in the audience, like I'll kind of trick my brain into thinking that they're only there to watch me fail, that they're planning on talking a bunch of shit about me when I fail and that they're planning on heckling me, like that they're just planning on ruining my set. So like I have that in the back of my mind. I had to do a, like 300 
in-person theater one time and a buddy was in the audience and didn't know I was on the show. So I went like, and I saw him in the audience, like, Hey, what's up, man? He's like, Hey, you want to sit with me for the show? I'm like, I'm actually, I'm actually Boy, on it. Yeah. I'm opening up for one of the bands. And he was like, his face dropped. Oh! He immediately had to look on his face. Like he was not happy for me anymore. And that he was just trying to think in his head, how the fuck do you have this? And I don't. And I'm, was he a comic? Yeah. And I'm now hundred percent convinced it was in my head. That, that none of that really happened, but my brain used that because I immediately stopped being nervous. Yeah. I immediately got angry at him, and I immediately went backstage and was just like, I fucking got this. And I went out yeah. and I fucking crushed, and I never looked back. And immediately after I was done, I was not upset with him. I realized yeah. it was all in my head. I'm like, I'm gonna, I just I have to do that sometimes. Totally. I have to like have someone telling me like you suck and like you're not gonna do well Mike. Oh, yeah. and uh, you can't do that because was, you yeah, have issues that, yeah like <laughs> like i was like i was like he has interacted with me enough to know by the way the thing you said 100 percent correct that would not work for me <laughs> <laughs> you would be in the crowd like hey fuck you man like <laughs> just yelling at him yeah just like, it, it it would be like no it's just more like oh he doesn't like me just like I always knew they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, we've discussed it on the podcast, but I had a situation at Pinebox once with uh, a host. Pinebox is a an open mic. Okay. It's just an open mic venue and show venue, apparently. They have a really good show. Mm-hmm. There, so. But I feel like uh, it was like months ago, but it felt like a turning point after it. Like I had had this tension with the host for a while and I didn't know why. And I was like, I feel like they're condescending me when they talk to me, but I don't, I don't have enough like knowledge to understand that. You know, when someone's like, you get, cause you're like, Oh, they have no, they, they have no like, uh, morality that they're standing. <laughs> they're just like, not, not that they're awful as a person. You mean but a like, snake? What are you talking yeah, about? They're snaky. They're <laughs> snaky. So, and then one time I just set up a joke and they started laughing like at the wrong time. And I was like, and it was distractingly loud. I was like, what, what's going on? And then they're like, that never happens. Like they did that thing. And I was like, yeah, it does. I, it's, this is based on my life experience. I'm not like <laughs> lying to you. And they're like, that never happened. And I was just like, it's a fucking setup. I, I just started yelling. I was like, Jesus Christ, I've been here for three fucking hours. I've been here for three hours. Let me do a fucking joke, you piece of shit. Like, I was just so angry. And then I was like, well, lost the energy for that bit. Now it's just going to be offensive and I'm still going to do it. And then I just did the bit, but I realized it was like, felt so good to kind of tell someone I didn't like that I didn't like the way they treated whereas, me. Whereas, so good. Whereas for Mike, it's like, he's like Popeye spinach for comedy. He's like, oh, I needed that. There's no way I could have done this set. I like to do Mike's people like when I know they don't like me. Like I know for a fact that they do not like me. Yeah, yeah. Your attitude is Yeah, and then I go up and all I want to do is crush. Like all I want to do is crush in front of them at their own mic or whatever it is. Like or I go up after them at a show or something like that. And I like and they're they're in the I can literally I fucking focus in on them in the back of their room just standing there cross-armed staring at me like yeah. not happy about the laughs i'm getting like that shit will just propel me and that's a uh mental disorder <laughs> please do an episode about beef comedy beef like this is i could God, that I is i feel like i'm more of an expert about comedy beef than uh do you know well, peter ravello yeah he wanted to do that too yeah i know <laughs> it's great well i'll beef with him in order to do it <laughs> what i'd like to do is talk a little bit more about the theme because I think you have a lot to say <laughs> yeah. about comedic storytelling and the different elements of it. Um, 
And I think one of the, the, the key elements to comedic storytelling as opposed to regular storytelling is that thing that we talked about with booster jokes. You have to have little jokes uh, interspersed throughout the story. To- yeah, it's okay for people to uh, – in storytelling, inherently, there are parts that are going to be quiet, that are going to be maybe 30 seconds, maybe even a whole minute or whatever it is of silence because the audience is so intently listening to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything in the room is focused in on this one pinpoint thing in the room talking like – that is uh that's normal and that throws a lot of people off especially in comedic storytelling like when you're starting out trying to tell a funny story you're trying to land on jokes and stuff you're trying to build things maybe they're not working so well or you think they're not working and then uh you know you get to i've heard stories before that are six minutes seven minutes long and they lead to one big punchline at the end and those are some of the greatest stories that there are because it's one long balloon blowing up it's one long thing slowly 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 and then all of a sudden it pops at the end like it is uh those are also really great stories sarah silverman's really good at those yet yet what like your your balloon analogy though um those booster jokes i mean sure those those, are the let out those are the releasing of the tension right but what i'm saying is like with comedic storytelling in particular i think what you're talking about with that where it's just one punchline that's Mm -hmm. a an exception to the rule um in general well, that would be one. Yeah, it's all leading up to a button. If there's one right. big thing at the end, that that's basically that's the button. Uh, you can have punchlines throughout the whole story, right. but the uh, that's what I mean, though. Mm-hmm. Comedic storytelling requires that you intersperse punchlines and jokes within the story structure. Whereas, if you're just telling a story, you don't need to do that. Ideally, you would. Mm-hmm. You want people to laugh, of course. But you know, if you're at, let's say, the moth. You don't like people will tell stories like crazy where there's no punchlines. It's just a long story. Yeah, yeah. The moth. You're describing the, the moth. <laughs> people tell long, boring stories with no punchline, right. and then three random people in the audience get to vote on it. <laughs> the most insane thing I've ever been a part of in my entire life. I was going to pick this clip for my clip. It's from a comic. Uh, his name is. Uh, uh, Anthony uh, Griffith, I believe, mm-hmm. and his um, he's this. It's this story, and it's n- there's not a laugh in it, but it's a story about how he did Johnny Carson like six times, and in the time that he was doing Johnny Carson, his two year old daughter was dying of cancer, and it's just like, and he starts with like, it was the best of times, it was the worst worst of time. I just didn't pick it for this. I would I'll like attach it when I posted this episode, I'll attach it as like an incredible storytelling, but it's just too, it's one of the, cause he breaks down while he's doing this story. It's one of the most beautiful things because it is like, it doesn't, it, the story is like, it didn't matter that I was achieving my dream. I was losing my daughter and it's, it's incredible, but it's something I found and it was on the moth. And that's a, and that's a Our, beautiful story. Yeah. But with comedic storytelling, yeah, yeah. you can't get away with that shit. Yeah. No, no, you can't. Yeah. Your daughter's your daughter's death has to be real funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bees. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and and that's why like I think comedic storytelling is um, hard for just storytellers, and it's hard for stand-ups because stand-ups typically aren't um, as well versed in telling stories. Most of them are not. Some of them are, and storytellers aren't necessarily particularly good at writing jokes. And so with comedic storytelling, you have two independent but related art forms that you're trying to meld together at once. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I have found that to be uh, tough. Also, um, if you get on stage with stand up and you decide to tell a comedic story 
and they're expecting stand up and they're not on board with the very beginning of your story. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I've had that happen before. There was a moment in time uh, after I moved to New York, like, uh, where I kind of was strictly doing stories, mm-hmm. uh, just on purpose. Like I really wanted to work on that muscle. I was I wasn't going to any stand up mics or doing any stand up show. Or I would get booked on stand up shows still, but I would strictly do stories on them, um, or just kind of like riff around and do crowd work and then go into a story somehow. But the uh, that was I feel like that's a good thing if you really want to learn. Like storytelling, in my opinion, is a tool. It's yeah. like improv. It's like mm-hmm. uh, sketch mm-hmm. writing or character mm-hmm. work. Like there's all these things that I feel like if you really want to be a well-rounded comedian, like even if you all you want to do is stand up, you want to be a, a famous stand-up comedian. I feel like spending uh, an extended period of time doing those other things, uh, and then you know slowly still working on the stand-up winning if you can. But like that should be something where it's like a, a little training ground, a little yeah. you, you know you're it's like going to the gym for six months but only working on your abs right. or only working on your shoulders or something like that's. Right. Uh, I feel like it'll help you in the long run when you circle back around to stand up and you start doing it, you start implementing all those little things you learn while doing improv or, or stories or whatever. And it, uh, it really helps. And I mean, I'm sure Chris rock or Dave Chappelle or anybody like all those people that are really famous right now did something along those lines, whether it be just take a class and work on that for six weeks straight or spend a whole year. I mean, I did the cheaper way of spending a year just hitting up mics and, uh, talking to people. I'm not really on board with classes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you can teach someone to be funny. Um, I think you can, I don't think I, so. if you could take like a six hour course, like a one day course, six hours of sitting around, like learning the history of improv, I don't think practicing it process. I think yeah. everyone has their, their own and other people's process who inform yours just have to, you just got to pick up things. The yeah. way I always describe it to people uh, when they, when they talk about classes is I always like, well, okay. It's almost as though, um, it's a musical instrument. Um, but let's say that every single oboe was a completely different shape and different kind of thing. Yeah. So this is an, this is how you play the oboe that looks like an apple. This is the, uh, this is a, this is one that is an elephant and can move around. So everybody has their own instrument and no one can teach. Like I can teach you how to play my elephant, like, like, yeah. but, yeah, but yeah. I don't know that's going to help you with your Apple. Like, exactly. it, it, and so that's why, um, like standard thing, classes, are things tough. like this podcast are perfect like this, like where if you wanted to learn more about a specific thing, you shouldn't have to pay $400 and yeah. spend a bunch of time working on it. That's not how it works. You, you, the best thing, way to learn, com- especially comedy, in my opinion, is uh, it doesn't really work with the instrument thing, but should be watching like, people. Yeah. Watching people, also talking to people. Yeah, yeah, that talking are, to people that, one-on-one. That think you're funny, and I think a huge thing is the inspiration of another comic. Yeah, if I had a, a mentor. comic that you really like, yeah, I feel like I have a mentor, too. There was a guy out he in UCB East uh, that ran a mic for a very long time when it first opened up. His name is John Flynn. Yeah. Uh, he's out in L.A. He may or may not do storytelling classes out there, but... Uh, <clears throat> storytelling classes, if he does, I think, might be different than stand-up classes, though. Yeah, that, I mean, but and, and usually storytelling classes do not go on for six weeks and cost $400. Yeah, they're yeah. very, they're much more streamlined. Uh, but they, again, immerse yourself in it. Uh, and I, basically, after his mic, every... Tuesday or something, whenever it was, uh, afterwards we'd sit in the bar and I would just pick his brain and we would talk, we'd end up talking about movies. We'd end up talking about all sorts of things having to do with stories and it would always yeah. lead back around. And that just week after week after week, I 
was convinced he hated me after a while. And like, uh, he's told me many times to stop telling people he was my mentor. He's like, does <laughs> uh, if he's out, he's out in LA, he still does a mic out at UCB and at one of the UCBs in LA. And, uh, it's amazing. It's probably, I've always heard it's the best storytelling mic there. It's a lot to learn. And, uh, he's got an album that I don't know if I'm allowed to say the title of, yeah. uh, no, 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 he has a lot it's of rules been out. For you. It's been sounds uh, like no. a mentor. It has a uh, you know. <laughs> it it's called like it's called faggot munchkin. Faggot munchkin. Yeah, it's because he's he's gay and he play like he I think he he has a story about realizing he was he was gay was like a, uh, when he did Wizard people. of Oz or something. He was like one of the munchkins when he was a little kid. That's and like uh, that's he that's that was his munchkin. He was faggot munchkin. If he wants the word out, I think he's okay with you. Thing. It's a great album. It's alive. He recorded at UCB. It is. I was in the audience for it when he recorded uh, East Chelsea. Or Chelsea. He recorded East. Chelsea, and it's amazing. It's it's on iTunes and stuff. Like Whoa. it's it's definitely. He is probably, in my opinion, the best person. Uh, that's really like not lucky. famous. You were, like, yeah, you were lucky to to get that to 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 be exposed to somebody with that much experience. Hey man, game, really game recognized it. game. It's funny yeah. that you said like he gets tired of you calling him your mentor because my who my mentor is keeps telling me to stop calling him my dad. (laughs) It's it's Drew Morgan. One of the things I was looking at is um, being the underdog in the story. Uh, But then sometimes people spill over into forcing flaws. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where they're like, here's this thing about that's so rough about my life. And you're like, no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, The, uh, I mean, it is everything. Every story is about perspective. In my opinion, like, uh, you have to be able to see how the, especially if the audience doesn't know you at all. If we're at a mic and literally no one in the room knows who you are and you go up at a, to tell a story, you need to establish who your character, you, the Jeff character. Cause you're not Jeff anymore. The mm-hmm. Jeff in this story is not the same Jeff as the one sitting in front of me. Yeah. Even if it happened an hour ago, mm-hmm. you're not the same person and you need to think of that character as a character. It's not you. You're not, it's not a book where we're hearing the narrator's thoughts. We are all experiencing this as sort of a third person. Which is why uh, it's a really good idea to be have a little bit of removal between you and the, and the event you're talking about. Yeah. Like, it has to have not necessarily closure, but you need to have contextualized it in your life and not be in it. Uh, exactly. The, you almost not want to be emotional. Like, you don't <laughs> want to have an emotional attachment, like, while the story is going on. Like, if it's very fresh, it's... Uh, when you tell that story in six months or a year or two years, whatever it is, like, if you ever come back to that, you probably will tell it slightly differently, and you yeah. probably will have a different ending. Like, yeah. that's a, sometimes it'll be like, yeah, uh, this, the, this small thing happened, and it reminded me of this thing. And then, like, it, you know, somehow it tails back, or a news story or something like that, yeah, where some yeah. small thing, like, you know, strikes it up in your brain again, and it's... You're thinking about it while you were sad when you first told it. Like you might be, you might think it's fucking the funniest thing in the world. Like yeah, when yeah. you tell the next when, time. When I may have, I may have said this before on the podcast. I'm not sure, but when I was in San Francisco uh, and I got divorced, I went on stage about a month after we split, and I tried to talk about it, and it was awful. Like they, the the crowd was just like, oh, he's a sad man. Yeah. Like yeah, nobody was laughing. And I got off stage feeling in like about a thousand times worse than when I got on stage. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know I could go any lower. And uh, this grizzled old veteran uh, comedian, like 20 years veteran, just comes over to me and he talks like, Argh. he goes, he goes, so uh, Jeff, um, when this happened? And I was like, about a month ago. Yeah. 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 So, uh, um, Here's the thing about comedy, Jeff. 
<laughs> this isn't okay, is it? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, it's not. He goes, right. Maybe you, people need to know it's okay at the end so they can laugh. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what you should do? And I'm like, what? He goes, Maybe talk about something else for a little while until it is okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, it's like a really good. That is about comedy. You talked about character. And when you get on stage, it's how important it is for people to, like, know who you are really fast uh, in yeah. the context of the story you're about to tell. Yeah, the I mean, it's easier when like if I go into a room now and I know half the room, I know, you know, it was just we know each other from talking and we're friends, whatever, like I, I can skip to things quicker. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like I don't have and to explain to people I'm a jerk. I don't have to explain to people that I'm an asshole. I don't have to explain to because otherwise you're you have to explain sort of beforehand why you're about to make the decisions you did in the mm-hmm, story. Mm-hmm. Um Something like, uh, if you, you know, I've heard, I think I heard a story one time about uh, a guy who, uh, when he was a kid, he went into a public bathroom and he had kind of a startling experience where like a, a you know, someone tried to like have sex with him in the bathroom, like thought he was there for gay sex and stuff. And it was just a misunderstanding and real in reality, no harm, no foul, but it always kind of freaked him out now about bathrooms. And then he tells, and then that leads to a story about how, you know, he's in a bathroom and really drunk and stuff and feels someone like trying to basically take advantage of him and then gets in a fight with a guy and then realizes the guy's a paramedic. Someone called the the paramedics on it, like, you know, to help him. And he's, but he's so his, his muscle memory is that of like Uh danger in the bathroom. So he, and it's, uh, you have to understand, you really, you don't have to know, uh, a lot of details about that character before you hear that story you don't need to really know what he looks like you don't need to know his favorite albums like there's all you need people is leaving. that one little thing of i view bathrooms as you're about to hear yeah. me tell a story wherein if it happened to you we wouldn't have the same outcome mm-hmm. because and here's why it would uh-huh. not here's why i made my decisions in this and here's why you wouldn't you know and that's that would say this is what makes us different and that's all you really need to know i feel like the biggest downfall in most stories are too much information not it's best to find what i call the meat of the story what mm-hmm. is the like if, if you give me the elevator pitch of the, this is a story about blank mm-hmm. at the time this happened mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it ruins the story or whatever phrase it that way now build upon that statement the fact that it is a story about that that it is a story about that one particular event who, what, where, why, when, why, why did this occur? Why did you make that decision? Where did it happen? Who was there? Not everybody needs a name. That's a very important thing. Like, yeah. uh, I can, and you can combine characters. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that, that's another very important, uh, thing is, uh, there is a weird relationship with truth in stories. Obviously, if you're making up a story about having cancer and uh, you know, that's bad. You're a bad person. You're getting sympathy, and you may end up getting more than sympathy, money, uh, fame, whatever. Right, you may right, end up getting right. a lot more I mean, shit. Special. And it, yeah, on Ellen. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but if you're uh, combining things to make more sense, Harrison's story, he uh, describes this girl as a bridesmaid because you're quickly learn- You All you need to know is her relationship to the wedding. That's all mm-hmm. you need to know. Mm-hmm. If she's not really a bridesmaid, if she happens to just be a cousin or a friend of a she's friend, or her dissertation, it's and not. Yeah, it's like, not a documentary. She's a grad. Yeah, there's exactly. nobody. There's with my friend. There's nobody sitting there fact checking your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. The meat of the Chappelle story is them in the dressing room, interacting with each other. That's yeah. the meat of the story. 
So you want to get there as quick as possible. You don't want any speed bumps in front. You don't want the audience's mind to trail off thinking, oh, he said this detail. I think that's going to come into play later. And you're mm-hmm. constantly like mm-hmm. you're not really focusing anymore. You're just waiting to be proven right about a story. So that's uh, you, you got to well, be careful. Don't give too many. Don't have too many characters. Don't, don't necessarily give them names if it's not that you know big a deal. He call he calls the bouncer a goon. He refers to his son as his son. You know what I mean? He doesn't even give them names in that story because it's not important. Yeah. So the it's little details like that. Dates can also weigh people down. I've seen you know how many times I've seen someone go up on stage at a mic or something and be like, So this is a story about my uh-huh. time in third grade. Well, hold on. So Fern Gully came out and that year. Uh-huh. And then I yeah. saw, I definitely saw Fern Gully in the summer. Of, and it's like, they're trying to, it's like, it doesn't matter. No, who dude. cares? It doesn't. Yes. Yeah. We, we understand. You're young. You're young in the fucking it's story. Like having Go. sex with a woman you've never slept with. And be like, so this is what my penis is supposed to do. Yeah. I'm going to go inside you right now. It's going to, it's going to feel a little weird. Those bumps are just skin tags. <laughs> <laughs> they're just skin tags. Oh I'm God. covered in skin, skin tags. Dick. So, uh, and, and, learning that that um i don't know that how to make that judgment call that was that was super hard for me with stories oh yeah no you're and that the best thing to do is get that's why talking to people after your set after their set like get you know you have to be unafraid of like letting like i've told people before like was that not funny was that a not did i not do a good job doing yeah. that and they i seriously i want to know and they'd go yeah that wasn't a good and then i'd fight them and then <laughs> no but they like it's you gotta under and it's great to ask okay where did i lose you well like literally what was the moment that i lost you and sometimes they'll go well you were doing an impression of your friend and trying to explain that he was a crazy person and and you just started screaming in the microphone and after that i was like eh, i don't really care anymore <laughs> like okay i introduced a character that is not likable that is not interesting and is not people don't want to follow mm-hmm. for the rest of the story yeah so i gave him too much power by just trying to explain something or, or introduce this character when i could have easily just been like yeah my friend drew is there he's crazy like uh, yeah. and we can move on and then when drew does something crazy earlier later on like it explains it it explains yeah, yeah, why yeah. he made those decisions or why whatever happened happened so it's uh it's a po- yeah to, to figure out what you need to cut and what you don't need to cut it's a, it's it's almost trial and error sometimes. Yeah. You need to figure out what'll make and sometimes you need that little bit of spice to make things mm-hmm. make more sense. Like uh, I'll give you an example of like the spice in in Chappelle's story here. Like it, you know what? Maybe he didn't have this giant spread of perfect everything just exactly. incredible, yeah. but he he but but building that in helped propel the story along to build the the contrast that he wanted. It's one yeah, it's a, just another little whoop of the balloon, another turn of the nozzle to blow it back up for just a second and then Uh release it again it's Uh just it's only doing that for for effect for for adding a little bit of more tension a little bit and there's like i've seen both sides of the spectrum so like i'm on the side where i want to tell the truth i don't like lying so i i've had to learn how to manipulate a story for the benefit of the audience i'm yeah it has nothing to do like the idea of a lie i feel like the idea of a lie is you're lying if you're like you're lying to gain something in some way yeah like if you're if you're if your only gain in this is that you have a good set and that the audience likes you more you're not in like you're not an asshole like again it's all it's all context you have to really be a fucking adult when it comes to what you should and shouldn't lie about if there's a girl you want to have sex with in the audience and you know she's a 
very staunch person, anti, very vocal about how anti-rape she is, and you tell a story about saving a girl from a rape, like, <laughs> yeah, you're an asshole. You just fabricated an entire thing. In fact, she she made this cape for me. Yeah, <laughs> like you're you're a dickhead. But if you're trying to tell a story where it just makes more sense, like if there's a story about like uh, your, your your parents gave you a car and you ended up crashing that car and around christmas but like in the story it makes more sense for you to do it right before you go to college or something or like it's the situations are slightly different but it's like you know to kill a to kill a fake person or do something horrible to a fake person in your story like it's it's bad like that doesn't make you in the right and you should and then there's the people on the on the other side of that spectrum right so you have like the, the the people who are all about who would truth they have to learn to lie, and then you have the other people who come in and just make something completely up, mm-hmm. and you just sit there the whole time and you can feel it, and you're just listening to it, and you're like, none of this happened. Yeah, none I've, yeah. of it. I've only I've only done that for stand up, like very short, where where you're oh, yeah, to tell the you're joke. starting out to tell like you're telling a very like you're telling a story, and then you undercut it with some pun right, or some right, quick thing right, like some right. very misdirection like. That that's the only time I've done it. But in my opinion, like anytime someone tries to hold a thing of truth to com like to stand up comedy is the dumbest like <laughs> that's like me going on stage and be like, So I was walking down the street today and some guy's like Bullshit. <laughs> well, I I drove you around all day today. You did not take one step outside. Like that that it doesn't matter, man. Like the joke is that or or like you know. How does that help the effect we're trying to achieve, which is laughter? Yeah. How does that help? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, you gave me a five star rating. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. We're gonna do something a little different this time. Mike is gonna tell us a story that you're willing to burn, right? Yeah, I don't really have anything recorded. Like, I just I don't record my sets. I don't record much. I have a quick stand-up video on YouTube, but other than that, like, I like I just I hate the internet. I don't like being on it. I don't like uh, I don't like playing that game. I have uh, I'm obsessed with the idea of being undeniable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know I know we're making jokes about being humble or whatever before, but that's really I feel like that's something that's the job is keeping me in the entertainment industry is. I'm going to go about it my own way. I'm going to go about it. I'm going to probably do the opposite of what advice people give me to do, mm-hmm. how to get more famous. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not here to get famous. I'm, I'm here because I'm a comedian. Cause you love, you love stand up. I'm, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be making people laugh on stage for the rest of my life. I, if we weren't so far across on a table together, I would high five you right now because that's exactly the same. Oh yeah. Uh, Harrison made the connection for us. We're an improv troupe now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harrison is the transitive property of high fives. <laughs> so, uh, because that's exactly the way I feel about it. I just want to do stand up. I was a banker. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah. So, all right. So, Mike wants to tell some dumb fucking story. And uh, I guess this can be fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This next comic coming to the stage, you've seen him all over the country. You've seen him all over the city. He frequents the creek and the cave. You can see him tonight. Or last week at Pockets Graham's show. Uh, give it up for the storytelling sensation and hilarious funny man. Give it up for Mike Guild, everybody. Mike Guild. Yeah. Thank Mike you. Guild. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, I got I got to start the story. I got to tell you where I'm from. I'm from Tampa, Florida, uh, and uh, really the one thing you got to know about Tampa, Florida is they worship 
manatees for some reason down there. <laughs> like the most inactive fucking sea animal of all time. I, I hate this animal. They sp- every every year in elementary school and middle school and high school, they would sit us down in a big assembly and explain to us that if you ever go near a manatee, you will spend the rest of your life in jail and you'll spend like a hundred thousand dollar fine and it just it'll ruin your life. Don't go near manatees. And it's ridiculous. Like I defy anyone in this crowd right now to, <laughs> to look at a manatee in the wild and tell me if it's alive or dead. It, it's, it, they can't. So there's one time where I went to, uh, I got invited to like my first kind of boy girl party, uh, and like ninth grade. And it was at a girl's house. Uh, and it was like a pool party and I got invited the only way I've ever been invited to a party, which is uh, I was standing next to someone who was getting invited to the party. Uh, and then they just turned to me like, yeah, I guess you can come too. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> so I go to this thing and uh, no one's talking to me. Nobody's like paying any attention to me. I'm just kind of sitting by myself in the corner. And uh, this girl's house, her backyard is actually the Hillsborough River. Runs right through the middle of Tampa. Uh, it is the most polluted river in the entire world i believe i think it's where shopping carts and motor oil are born i don't know that's all that exists in that fucking river and uh so from her backyard there's a river and you can see this little footbridge that goes above the river and in my mind i'm thinking all right i gotta get everyone on my side somehow i need to fucking like win everybody's uh, favor over and jackass was really big at the time it was very big uh (laughs) tv show so i go up uh i'm like hey everybody come to the backyard i'm gonna jump off the bridge into the river (laughs) and everybody's just like yeah, let's go watch Mike die. This will be this will be fun. I never, I've known a lot of dead people in my life. This will be a new form of death. Uh, so I get everyone to go to the backyard. I walk through the neighborhood and get to the footbridge, and I'm like waving at everyone at the top of the bridge, like here I go. And I jump off, and as I'm falling, I see this like dark figure in the water underneath me, and I'm like, "Fuck, shopping carts!" Like I'm about to break my legs. And I hit the water and like I close my eyes and I it doesn't feel like I hit water. It feels like I landed in just like a tub of snot and disgusting mucus and like there's like it smells terrible and I remember trying to come to the surface of the water and I like the surface is now solid and I'm like what the fuck and I'm freaking out thinking I'm about to drown and I had to literally like claw my way through the top of the water like rip it open and like stick my head through and i'm just like oh god the like the film of the water was keeping me down and i was like what the fuck's going on and i come up and uh my hands are kind of stuck to my side and i can't fucking move really and i see everyone on the bank of the river just staring at me pale as a ghost half the people start crying everyone's freaking out screaming and i realized that i'm like stuck in the middle of a manatee corpse (laughs) just like stuck in it like wearing it like an inner tube like apparently this manatee somehow got into the river and it died from probably pollution and it just it's it's dead corpse was just floating down the river baking in the hot florida sun for god knows how long and uh and i was in the middle of it and I couldn't get myself out of it by, like, going through the top. So the only way to get out of it was I had to go back down. I had to, like, slurp myself down through the bottom of this fucking manatee and then oh swim God. over to the riverbank and the shore and stuff and pull myself out. 
everyone's crying at this point, <laughs> assuming that we're all going to jail for killing a manatee and stuff. And I'm like, no, no it was already, there's no way it was alive. Man. <laughs> I weighed like 90 pounds at the time. If I hit a live manatee, like from 12 feet up, I would have just bounced off of it and fucking landed in the next county over. Like it would have been a trampoline at that point. <laughs> So there's no way I knew it was dead already. And, uh, yeah, they, I like had to hose myself off and, uh, I was like getting ready to leave. <laughs> and I assumed like the girl whose party it was like was fucking freaking out at me. Nobody was looking at me and I was like getting my clothes back on and just felt so bad for myself. And right as I was about to walk out of the door, like the three or four, like actual cool people at the party came up to me and they're just like, Hey man, that manatee thing. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I got a party next month. You want to come to that? I was like, yeah. And I got invited to parties after that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, awesome. Oh, my God. That was amazing. <laughs> I, I heard another version of that story, by the way, where uh, you smelled so bad from it. Like, you tried to go back into the party. And yeah, the- yeah. They, they, like, I just, it reeked so bad. Like, that they, I had to sit in this backyard while, like, someone hosed me off for a second. And then, like, still, like, I thought I was like, all right, I'm clean now. Can I go back in the pool? And everyone's like, no. Yeah, yeah. You smell like a dead manatee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That is uh, so funny. There was Great. also, there's there was uh, another, fr- there was a friend with you, too. Yeah. Right? There was another part where I had a friend with me. Uh, and that, 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 that's true. I did have a friend with me at the time. Um, and we were both, cut, like, he was younger than me. So he also didn't know anyone at the party um and he actually like uh you know we did that thing where i put my foot uh, we went to the top of the footbridge and i put like my foot in his hands and we did like the one two three and he flipped me backwards and i did like a backflip over the edge and then fell and uh that was the original and the only reason i dumbed it down because it became too like there's too much going on and it was taking away from the uh it's another thing if you don't want to like misdirect the audience too much because they're going to be focused on something um when i normally tell that story that manatee portion at the beginning is like not close to the story uh it ends up being a callback that mm-hmm. i make like way later so that nobody can figure out what the dark mass is exactly before you get, right, well right, and right, i set right. it up that it's going to be the shopping carts uh, mm-hmm. so i'm trying to misdirect you that way um mm-hmm. so i feel like the the, the ending is much easier to guess when i just tell it straight up like that mm-hmm. uh but the, uh, yeah, I just simplified everything. I mean, me and the, my friend in the story, like, we were having the same exact problems. It really didn't make any sense to, to bully everything down with, like, two people. And, you know, it just it caused too much chaos. Too much was already going on. And, again, it took away the meat of the story is me landing inside of a fucking manatee. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want to get to. Right. I don't want to wait too long to get it. There was also versions of that story where I think I was trying to impress a girl. Like, you know, there was a girl that I really liked. And mm-hmm. she was really into animals and stuff. Like, there was all these different ways to heighten attention and uh and i wasn't you know i'm sure there was a girl there i liked at that party i I liked girls uh so i'm not making that up uh and uh the whole idea of like you know sitting at a party not being accepted like me and my friend in the story had the same exact problem so there was no point in making us Mm -hmm. different people Mm -hmm. uh and, and and in the end i realized like he wasn't that important to the story anyway yeah, uh right, there was right. no real reason for him to be there he so. was just another person where who wore a manatee for a little while yeah, yeah. no he, yeah yeah <laughs> uh he actually uh missed the manatee so uh <laughs> but yeah the uh it was great it was uh uh i am trying to burn that story i want to get that i want to get that on film i don't know yeah, on yeah. tape on computer and, but not uh, put it on the internet don't put it on the internet 
You're against that. Yeah, this is going. This is not on the internet, right? These, these podcasts. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. It's a, it's, it's a cassette tape that There's we hand quail. around. We give it to a quail and it flies. <laughs> and just, it goes wherever. It goes. We broadcast it on WNYC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quail, three, quail three, cast. Three twenty six in the morning. On Fox right after laugh, so no one is watching. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dig into that one a little bit. Sure. I heard a different version of that story. I heard a, a long version of that story, and it was. I believe that was. I believe that that was the first time, like, I really was just, like, 100% taken away by a story at an open mic. Like, I just was, like, I heard you tell that story, and I could see the fucking manatee corpse in my head. <laughs> I could see the bridge. I could see the horrified people at the party because there were all those extra details in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I got to be honest, like, I loved those details. I get why you're doing it. Yeah. I get mm-hmm. why you've made the changes that you have. But they definitely do heighten that tension. So when you drop that you dropped into a manatee by the time you get to that point oh it's just that that it's a huge balloon pop yeah yeah uh yeah and then there's uh to to make it a slightly happy story at the end like which is most audiences do want to hear some sort of slight redemption uh uh, happening like you know because that's true like i I mean i there is a part of that story i've always wanted to add on but i feel like it makes it so much longer because Hmm. like maybe if i you know do this on an album or something one day like there is a semi-second part to that story, a loose sequel, if mm-hmm. you will, is uh, yeah. I became the guy in high school who, like, you would want to invite to your parties because he was going to do something crazy and wacky. Oh, uh, for, boy, did you have to live up to that. Oh, Oof. my God, man. I pigeonholed my, like, and it, it caused much more, like, you know, I, I was semi-popular. People enjoyed my presence and stuff, and I, you know, I started enjoying high school a little more, but, like, you know, do you know how awkward it is to fucking like go to a party like everyone likes you at, and then like within ten minutes someone's come up to you like, "Hey man, you know what you should do? Just fucking get naked right now. Just fucking streak, run around, like take all your clothes off. Like, dude, my girlfriend over there would fucking freak." Dude, like, hey, you know what I love about you? That you're like a clown and not a real person. Exactly. To me. Yeah, <laughs> it started quickly becoming like dance monkey dance. Yep. Uh, yep. Oh no! I think the worst. I think the one that really made me kind of re-examine my life and a situation was. Uh, it was a party. I think it was like a week after graduation of high school. And um, my friend, my quote unquote friend, uh, convinced <laughs> me to uh, that they're going to blindfold his girlfriend, whose birthday party it was, and bring her out a cake. And she was going to blow it out, uh, like, you know, blow out the candles or whatever. And he's like, you know, it'd be really funny, though. We bring out the, we bring it all out. And then right before, like, she blows out the candle we move the the cake away and you lay on the table with your fucking hard dick out just with your hard dick. And she starts blowing on your dick, dude. Like she thinks it's, you just fucking let her blow all over your junk. And then she takes off the fucking thing and freaks out. It'd be hilarious. Uh, no one thought it was hilarious. Uh, immediately, people were like, "Like it didn't even work because the second like the cake got slid away and like I fucking put, I like started climbing naked onto a table in front of her. Immediately, all her friends were like, "What the fuck? Get the fuck out of here! What is?" And she's like, "What? Ew! What's going on?" And I'm like, "I'm like John." And he's like, "Oh, uh, I don't have anything to do with yeah. this. This is you, man. All you." So my hard dick became a punchline for a while there. Uh, in high school so it just i got naked way too much i just became that clown yeah and i hated it and uh 
That's not a good persona. So you, 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 no, it's probably not yeah. a good persona. It's not a good voice for comedy. Hey, what's <laughs> up? It's Cake Dick. Yeah. <laughs> Cake Dick comedy. So, so I love uh, a couple pieces to this. So uh, the way that you describe, and I imagine this took a little while to get there, but you have a, a few different analogies in here that really help build the visualization. Like I felt like I was in a tub of snot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's just great. It's so visceral. Uh, that people are like, yeah, okay, I, I, that sounds awful. I don't think yeah, I yeah, want to see that. The like only that. way to describe that warm goo. Uh, <laughs> so wait, wait, was the layer over the lake that was the skin? Cool? Yeah, that was the manatee body uh, <laughs> yeah. that I had to crawl my way through, through. and then back down again. <laughs> uh, oh, wearing it like an inner tube. Yeah. Like, I think man- it- <laughs> So gross. Or like one of those, like like one of those uh, hula skirts. <laughs> I was gonna say those blow up balloons that look like animals. Oh, people, yeah, yeah. Like, a man, like it's always like a flamingo or something. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's said yours is a decomposing manatee. <laughs> I did the, the the trampoline part. Uh, I know your story's done, but I was like, I was like, oh, like a manpolinity, like <laughs> <laughs> a trampoline. <laughs> The, uh, uh, I did have to add that part in too, uh, kind of recently actually, that uh, the reinforcement that I knew it was dead because mm-hmm. for some reason the detail of it that it was already dead skipped over in a lot of people's minds. Not everybody's going to sit there and think, oh, a decomposing manatee would be easy to get through. A full alive manatee, probably less so. Yeah. yeah they're not going to put that together. Well, I think, it, and that's also the initial reaction kind of like took them out for a second to where like they didn't hear the next two sentences or something. He killed a manatee. And yeah, all they're thinking is that, because they're, they're there was, uh, I think I told this story at a show recently in Brooklyn and then afterwards, like two or three people came up to me and they were like, so did you end up like getting in trouble for that? I was like in trouble for what? They're like for killing that manatee. Uh, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I didn't. Uh, it was already dead. Like yeah. didn't everyone just through. thought, everyone just immediately thought that it was alive. Like you think that fresh dived into the body of a manatee <laughs> yeah. to kill it. You think that, you think that <laughs> the inside of a fully alive, intact manatee is basically a tub of goo. <laughs> okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> a biologist. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's great, and I I also liked. I don't think you said this before, but you said and Jackass was one of the was very popular at the time. I don't think I heard that in the other. It's a really good oh, yeah, point. just stupid stunts for the sake of being it's stupid. Also just the, the quickest, hilarious, most hilarious foreshadowing because like, oh, I see where this is going, and I can't wait to see. Yeah, yeah you know, I'm gonna be hurt in some way, or something bad is gonna happen from me trying to you know impress everybody. Yeah, like, yeah. and you come full circle. Something changed. You're a little cool now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, uh, that does help complete the circle. I, I did. Do you guys want to try to break? I was going to try to break down how this do story it. falls into the. Uh, do it. Um, the, my obviously the character is me. Uh, a guy named Mike looks exactly like me. Talks exactly like me. But it's not who you're seeing tell the story. Um, I'm my comfort is I'm just a normal high school kid. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I have normal high school kid problems, not getting invited to a party, it's very low stakes. Yeah. Um, I want something. I want to be accepted by everybody. I mm-hmm. want to have friends. I want to be loved. Um, I enter an unfamiliar situation, a party full of people. I don't know. Yeah. Um, also unfamiliar inside of a dead manatee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's familiar. Unfamiliar <laughs> at the time. Uh, In Tampa, that's just a thing you do. Yeah. Uh, I adapted to the 
to the unfamiliar situation by trying to bring everyone into something that, you know, I'm like every fucking kid in America at when Jackass was big, we all were grabbing video cameras and running out and jumping off stuff and yeah. trying to make skateboard videos and stuff and just all sorts of bullshit. You guys choke each, each other out till you passed out. We that was that. past our time. We were, we, I think we were, we were like, like we were already smoking weed and stuff. We would do this like, thing where we'd press our forearm up against each other's throats against a wall. Yeah. And then you'd lose oxygen. And then what would happen was they just, we'd just pass out and then we'd wake up and be like, that was awesome. <laughs> and then one time my friend passed out, woke up, laughed hysterically for three seconds, then started crying hysterically for 10 seconds, then went back to laughing hysterically oh for like 45 seconds. And now he lives in a padded room. <laughs> he is involved with the pyramid scheme. It's not a good situation. So, so, so you, you, your, your next step is, that you you search for something and you adapt to it like yeah i search i'm searching out <laughs> this for acceptance isn't the water i note <laughs> no no my adapting is that bringing them into something i'm familiar with i by doing a stunt like i know i can i know this is something that works on people this is something i may or may not be good at but i'm willing to try uh-huh. uh that's my adaptation to it um Getting what I wanted was like the attention of being like, hey, everybody, come out to the backyard. Like, watch me do this great thing. And everyone's paying attention to me finally. Everyone's cheering. They're cheering me on as I'm on top of this thing, like on top of the footbridge. So I'm basically getting what I wanted at that point. Um, And I pay a heavy price for it. Uh, I fall into a disgusting river full of dead manatees. And then I returned to a familiar situation, the party that I was just at, and uh, having changed is uh, I am a little bit more accepted now than I was beforehand. Yeah. Right, right. And I, I think, like, um, one of my favorite parts about the, the other version of that story, and the reason I like it in terms of comedic storytelling, is that it ends with you guys still not really being accepted, the two, you and your friend, yeah. because you stink so bad. Yeah. That, uh, was, yeah, that was the original thing was that everyone was really cool like cool about it i think that actually may, the version you might have heard might have been one of the first times i did it on stage and there was the the there was a minute where i was doing it where like everyone at the party saw me jump in the river and i did it more than once and like they were kind of bored with it after like the second or third time i did it to where like i wasn't getting their attention anymore yeah. and the third time second or third time is when i fell through the manatee and no one had like no one knew it yeah, like yeah. and so it was mostly my own internal like trying not to freak out while people are like hey man cool stunt like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i mean like it's uh, I, don't more, think I, I don't think i heard that version that, I, yeah I, that I was uh, that was a i can't even remember how i've been telling that story for like five years now so right. Yeah, and, yeah. and but, uh, to the point I was trying to make is that I think, again, with comedic storytelling, like what you with Dave Chappelle, how he can, has to continue to still pay that price yeah. at the end of it. And, you, and with yours, where like the part that made me laugh the hardest, aside from the moment you hit that manatee and we realized what you'd done, was at the end where you got what you wanted, but you didn't really. Mm-hmm. Like because you stank so bad, yeah. you're still paying the price. Yeah. And the price is almost like more than what you got. Yeah, like people were cool with me now, but they did, they're like, hey man, you're really cool, but you, but, can't, uh, stay at this you party. can't stay. You yeah. smell like shit. Yeah, that yeah. was yeah. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I think that was yeah, the I remember line. that line yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's so funny. I don't know. To me, it, uh, it also kind of brings back to like, 
the idea of a unpopular kid going to a popular kid's party, I feel like we're already thinking about Carrie and we're already thinking about like oh, yeah. what's bad's going to happen. Well, what are they going to do to you? Like what, what or what's going to be misinterpreted and it's going to backfire. Like it's, mm-hmm. you're already setting them up to be the villain. And, uh, at the end of the, my story, it's like, you know, again, it, it, I'm reversing roles, like where the unpopular kid is unpopular for a reason. And the cool kids are like accepting, but reasonable. Yeah, uh, they're yeah. like, Hey man, we like what you did. We get it. Uh, uh but you stink now. So <laughs> you gotta go. That's the end of part one. We have a part two coming next week. So I hope you enjoyed this. Again, check out the website, let's talk about sets.com. Thank you for all your support. We've gotten so many good, so much good feedback. It's 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 crazy. And as always, thank you. Salt and pepper for all this exotic and fair use. Come on over. I'll make you dinner sometime. Sets!